Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Han Talks First. I'm your host, Han, and today we're talking about a lot of stuff in the Star Wars world. We got the Obi-Wan series on hold. We're talking about how Disney sabotaged J.J. Abrams' The Rise of Skywalker. We're also going to talk about all this concept art that's been leaked from the Rise of Skywalker J.J. script and the Rise of, or the Duel of Fates Trevorrow script. And on top of that, we're just going to go ahead and talk about the Colin Trevorrow script, since uh, we haven't discussed it here yet. And it seems like everyone else in the world has, so I might as well weigh in my thoughts. So, let's dive right into it here on Han Talks the theme song but i kind of had to switch it up today because of all the stuff i'm talking about today it seems like today you can't talk about star wars unless you talk about drama that's the first thing that comes to mind it used to be imagination it used to be space it used to be stars and wars and aliens and you know hello there but these days it's just like hey who's kathleen gonna fire next you know it's just it's so it's odd it's odd to me. And um, so everything I'm going to talk about today is kind of, I guess, on the negative side or the dramatic side of of Disney Lucasfilm Star Wars and the world of it. But I think it's stuff worth mentioning and talking about. So, yeah, I apologize for the recording quality today, by the way. I am out of town again. I'm watching a friend's dog. And so if you hear uh, sounds in the background, I apologize but I can't block it out because I'm not in my home studio. And this dog won't stop lick, licking itself. And um, I, I've run out of options. I don't know what to do. He just he, he he's, thinks he's tasty, I guess. I don't know. Okay. So, like I said, we're talking about Obi-Wan. We're talking about JJ. We're talking about concept art for T. Ross. And we're also talking about Robert uh, Meyer Burnett's leak of Colin Trevorrow's script. So we're going to start off with the most recent news, which is the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Now, when I first heard rumblings that the series had been canceled, I immediately thought, BS, there's no way. Uh, people just like to, to spread, you know, crap like that, and it's just not true. Well, come to find out that it wasn't that far away from the truth. It turns out the Obi-Wan series is on hold indefinitely because Kathleen Kennedy was not happy with the scripts and has fired its writer. So <laughs> I'm going to read to you a little bit from this article by Collider on the issue so it says here two independent sources with knowledge of the situation tell collider that the obi-wan series has been put on hold as the crew that had assembled at pinewood studios in london was sent home 
A time frame was not given, but the crew was told that the show would be down indefinitely. Indefinitely. Which means it could be a week, or it could be five years. It continues and says that we're hearing that Lucasfilm president and producer Kathleen Kennedy was not happy with the scripts, and sources tell us that what will most likely happen next is the scripts will be reworked with the hopeful goal of reassembling this summer. But there's always the possibility that the time frame could shift. Okay. Haven't we heard this before? We've we heard it with Solo. They re- she replaced Lord and Miller, brought in Ron Howard, and script changes were made. Script changes were made on The Force Awakens by first firing Michael Arndt. And uh, script changes were made on The Rise of Skywalker when they, she fired Colin Trevorrow. And multiple rewrites and reshoots on Rogue One. And every single Star Wars project that has been has had some major drama surrounding it. And the what's funny is the one film that had no firing and rehires and uh, script drama and directing drama or whatever was The Last Jedi, which turned out to be the most controversial, most hated of the modern films, and just it's just funny, right? The one that appeared to have no problems and everything went perfectly was the one that people are most upset with. So, now another thing that blows my mind about this news is that uh, however many months ago, in August, Kathleen Kennedy was on stage with Ewan McGregor, and they announced that the series was coming to life, and Obi-Wan was reprising his, or Ewan was reprising his role as Obi-Wan. And they said, Ewan said in interviews that he'd been keeping the secret for five years. He had known about this project for five years, and it has been in development. It was slated as a movie, and then it was uh, broken down as a television series next due to Disney Plus's launch. And then they were debating on bringing it as like a miniseries and all this stuff. There's so much development hell going on. But what they did was they kept it to themselves and they didn't announce anything publicly, which was the smartest move they could have done. So it's been in development for this long. And it's it's obviously been worked on. They they had the writer, they had the director, they had the cast. They even um that guy who plays um uh Owen Lars in the prequels. Now I can't remember his name. I used to know it like that. Um, Joel Edgerton. Uh, he was coming back too. They had everything planned out. And they announced it to the public. And then they say it's put on hold. I just, I, I don't understand what's going on. And it, it I, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know why exactly. Like, is this really Kathleen Kennedy's decision? Or is this Deborah Chow's decision? Is it uh, Ewan McGregor's decision? Like, what what happened exactly? Because you can't... If it was in development for that long period of time, then you would think that the scripts were done. And Kathleen Kennedy said herself that the scripts were done. But now it's arising that there was only about 
two episodes worth and they needed something like six so it's like i don't understand what what the miscommunication is here and what we're missing from this story but fact is it's put on hold they fired a writer and now we're kind of in limbo and it's just so odd that the one thing that everyone's been kind of equal on asking for and celebrating is the one thing that's being taken away and it's just so weird anyway this could be a deborah chow situation you know, maybe she she was brought on after she, they saw her work on The Mandalorian, right? So maybe then she comes in and she starts to read the scripts and she's like, um, no, this isn't right. And Kathleen Kennedy, of course, who I see uh, retold over and over again, doesn't appear to understand what exactly Star Wars is supposed to be on a on a mythological and lore aspect. And she just wants to please the the directors who, who know the material. And so that's my theory. Deborah Chow came in. She wasn't happy with it. And she said, we got to change this and this and this and this. You know, I've, I've worked in the Star Wars world already. I know the Mandalorian. And if you want me to do this, we got to do it the Star Wars way. And Kathleen Kennedy, so eager for a female director is probably trying to appease her every need so that they can get this thing moving and she can finally have a female director make a or a launch be showrunner for a whole series or mini series i don't know i don't know again that's just my theory hopefully we find out more you know it's it's a crazy ride and i kind of hope this is all like just an early april fools joke you know but we'll see we'll see then uh, the next thing I wanted to touch on was um, this article that a friend of mine sent me, which is about the whole entire rumored J.J. Abrams Lucasfilm drama and how there there is in existence an Abrams cut, a director's cut of the film, and that Disney had essentially taken over Episode Nine and gone behind his back and sabotaged his creative freedom that he was supposed to have on this movie now i'm just going to read parts of this because it's a very long article and my friend seems to believe it's true and a lot of other people do so i'm just going to read it based off my friend's recommendation now i i don't believe any part of this I believe that the director's cut we got was the one that came to the theater. I wouldn't mind if we got another cut of the movie because that would just mean more Star Wars. And, you know, of course there's deleted scenes. There's Every movie has something that's left out. But right, I'll jump right into it. So this person, this leaker, says apparently Disney was one of the studios who were in the bad robot bidding war last year. And that Disney had much interest in Bad Robot as a company, but they did in J.J. Uh, Abrams more so because they saw Warner, Brother, Warner Brothers, who J.J. went with in the end, was a major threat. So Warner Brothers wants Abrams for their DC projects. And this source says that the generation's Star Wars is the MCU and that Marvel's biggest threat is the well-operational DC. And they want to keep DC in limbo compared to what they're at right now. And Abrams jump-starting that franchise with something like a successful, audience-pleasing Superman movie 
makes them nervous. And their goal is to make JJ look bad to potential investors and shareholders. So Disney reportedly made changes in post-production that even recorded and altered audio without Abrams knowing. And these changes reportedly are cut into the film. And this person explains that Abrams' original cut of the film in November was three hours and two minutes long, and that in January, he had even suggested turning the movie into two films. Now, this part that is fact that I know and have heard is that Chris Terrio weighed in, and when he was asked if they ever discussed breaking the film into two parts, he said, I wish we could have done that. Speaking for myself and not on part of the studio, I do wish that there could have been a part one and a part two. While the film could have been broken into two parts, Abrams apparently did approve a cut of the film that was two hours and 37 minutes long. However, the cut that made it into theaters was two hours and 22 minutes long. And one of the scenes that was cut was an end scene that the source described as the ending will blow your mind, which, of course, we heard described by Kevin Smith when he was on set. And, I don't know, all of this just sounds like very wishful speculation just to kind of defend the fact that uh, people weren't 100% satisfied with the movie. And, I don't know, let me see here. I'll read just a little bit more and then and then call it on this because I really don't believe it. So it says here that the Raylo kiss was not an Abrams idea. It was actually Disney's attempt to please both sides of the fandom. I see I don't even believe that because I do know that Daisy Ridley Ridley was actually a strong push pusher for them to kiss at the end of the movie. I think she said that herself in an interview. Uh, it also says that Abrams attempted to include a Finn-Poe relationship in the film, but Disney executives overruled him. That I could see. I mean, that was definitely a setup in Force Awakens. Uh, and Oscar Isaac even said, personally, I kind of hoped that and wished that maybe they could have been taken further in other films, but I don't have control. It seems like a natural progression, but sadly enough, it's a time where people are too afraid, I think, of I don't know what. Okay, see, this is why I don't like reading articles, because sometimes when people talk, they, they, they aren't either quoted correctly, or they just, the gr- grammar is off, and it doesn't make sense when I'm talking. Maybe it's just a bad article, I don't know. Anyway, it continues to go on, and it says stuff about how when JJ addresses um, the backlash, he says they're correct, and that is kind of a him kind of in a in a cryptic way saying hey i didn't make those decisions so you're right and i agree with you but i don't know how i feel about that you know i think i think jj had full creative control on this movie and they let him go with it because i seriously don't think that with the cut we got in in the film in the movie theaters it was it was very clearly trying to resolve issues from the last jedi that weren't related to the film at all and just kind of make it even ground for both sides of the fandom. And I think that's a JJ thing. I don't think that's a Disney thing because Disney was extremely confident in the last Jedi in every single way. So either it's true and they themselves wanted to fix that or I, I don't know. But one of the like terms of agreement was for JJ to come back was that he get full creative control and get to finish the story he wanted to make. 
which is why I don't think most of the story is true, but I, I wanted to bring it to attention because I know a lot of people are talking about it right now. So, uh, let's move on to, I guess, the final stuff I'm going to talk about. This is going to be a short episode, guys, um, mainly because I'm out of town and I can't really prepare as much as I'd like to, and there's not a lot of Star Wars news going around. So, Colin Trevorrow, where we, if you don't know, he was supposed to direct episode nine, like three years ago. He was actually announced back in 2016. Um, oh, I'm sorry, four years ago. I don't know what year I'm in. <laughs> I'm a time-traveling podcaster. So, yeah, he was supposed to direct, and uh, he had written his script way far in advance, or at least a draft of it, and now apparently it has revealed itself to the internet, and a man by the name Robert Meyer Burnett had discussed plot points of it on his YouTube channel. Now, for those of you that don't know who Robert Meyer Burnett is, he is a documentarian, he's a producer, a director, a writer, he's kind of a little bit of everything, and a YouTuber. And um, he's, he's, I think he's most known for Star Trek. I actually watch him on um, on one of his shows every single week. And so I've been familiar with him for a long time. And when he dropped this this uh, this script video, I'm sorry, the dogs are moving around like crazy. I think they heard like a, a bird or something. So when he dropped this script, I, I was one of the f- first to see the headlines and it kind of shocked me because I've never really seen Robert Burnett leak anything before so it was kind of weird for me to see that but I was very interested because I know that this guy knows a lot of people in Hollywood and that if he's leaking something it's probably true because it just doesn't seem like something he would do just for clicks you know he doesn't seem like that kind of guy so I kind of trusted the fact that he was doing it anyway I watched the first video he posted, which was over two hours, <laughs> and then I watched the second video, and honestly, I didn't finish it, because it was, again, over two hours, he posted two very long descriptions of the script, which were actually very boring to listen to, because he only talked about certain, like, a little bit of plot points here and there, and, and then he would, like, run on tangents, and answer people's live questions, and it really wasn't all fully related to the story, so... It was tough to get through, <laughs> um, and it wasn't part of his everyday show. I mean, usually his content is very, very entertaining and inform- informative, so I, I recommend watching other shows of his. But anyway, before I get into the script, I want to talk about the concept art that was released. And first of all, I must say, Doug Chang, the VP of Lucasfilm, and one of the head design concept artist for the prequels is an amazing creator a brilliant artist and he's honestly the reason for most of the aesthetic of these sequel movies and the prequel movies and i just think he's amazing and a lot of his stuff is featured in these in these uh quote leaks i guess you know and he, he oversees a lot of the concept for these movies and he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. He's kind of infamous in his in his work. And anyway, 
you can you can tell there's a lot of directorial influence from him in most of these concept pieces. So there, there's honestly not a lot that stand out to me. It looks like a lot of the original concept work that we've seen for the other movies. Um, one thing I, I did think was very cool was the um, Luke Skywalker grabbing Kylo's lightsaber um, as a Force ghost. That uh, is a very cool concept. And another thing was um, the... Capital building of Coruscant lifting above the ground level and floating above the city was very cool as well. Now, one thing that I want a lot of people to understand about concept art is it is what it is it what is said. It, it is conceptual, and it is not always what is going to be into the film. So when the when the concept art for The Rise of Skywalker was released, there's a lot of stuff in there that wasn't in the movie. And that's because these artists are hired, are hired to uh, paint and make art pieces that are to come out before the script is even written, before they're even given an idea. And that artwork is supposed to be inspiration for the writers and directors to kind of craft a vision around it. That's exactly what happened with the prequels. You know, there was characters created with clay figurines of 20 different villains and then George Lucas would come in and he would pick his favorites and then off that he would decide hey that would be a really cool Darth Maul and then he'd build a character around it and that's how that's how these films are made so when when people come in and say like why didn't they put this scene in the movie that's because it wasn't it wasn't crafted based off the script the script was crafted based off the artwork. And that's the same for Colin Trevorrow's Duel of the Fates concept art as well. And the same for The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and et cetera, et cetera. That's why, they, that's why most of these, you know, compositions are, I would say, a little darker and very full-framed. That's one thing I, I think would be really cool is if the concept artist could really get their vision across in the movies and we got a, a darker tone star wars movie or just any movie honestly lucasfilm has a lot of properties so just make anything because they're really creative and um a lot of a lot of the, the disney star wars movies are very what's the word i guess just bubbly <laughs> that's probably too not not a good word for it but they're not as dark i'm thinking like empire these concept arts really look like empire strikes back for me or uh parts of return of the jedi and it's just very dark and very very tense very dramatic and that's what i love about them but anyway please go on go on an imager and just type in star wars concept art episode nine concept whatever you'll find it a lot of beautiful images so with that out of the way i want to jump right into Parts of the script, uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing <clears throat> because, uh, honestly, that, that, would, that would mean that I would have a two-hour, <laughs> four-hour episode, and I don't really want to do that. But before I do, you know, a lot of people are talking about this script, okay? Every YouTuber is talking about it, and uh, a lot of podcasts are talking about it, and every, everything like that. But 
a lot of a lot of those people are saying that they've read it, and I don't want everyone to believe that because that's false. I was listening to this guy today talk about it, and he was just like, "I've read it, and I know things on top of it that have happened, but I've sworn secrecy to my source that I will not reveal that information." And it's like, bro, you get like. 2,000 views on your video and you're claiming that you have a, a source that knows everything about this script and all the details and that you've personally read it and have a copy and it's just it's BS I guarantee you 75% of the people out there that are saying that they've read it are talking about the bullet points provided on reddit.com <laughs> because the script is not that publicly accessible Okay, <laughs> I do believe Robert Byron Burnett has read it, but he himself said that after that, he completely deleted it and has just <clears throat> highlighted moments in it that he was fond of. Now, one thing that we do have in, in full draft form is the opening crawl, so I'll go ahead and read that for you. Okay, Star Wars Duel of the Fates. The iron grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Treacherous acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. So as far as a crawl goes, I think it sounds very prequel-esque. Um, it's very, very short. And again, the what I'm reading to you is just the first draft, so obviously there would be rewrites. <clears throat> so following this, basically the opening scene is it's very Rose Tico heavy, and Rose and Poe um, hijack a, a Star Destroyer and commandeer it, and Ray's involved she's disguised as a tuscan raider very uh return of the jedi how uh leia was disguised as whatever the fuck that thing was um the throughout this whole entire thing it's implied that rose has a very heavy role in the film which is kind of odd to me and she becomes a main character of the film um honestly my opinion not a fan of it i also find it distracting and they really rely on her heavy humor in this, which um, I also wasn't a fan of in the previous film. I think the way they handled it in um, The Rise of Skywalker was m much better than what I'm interpreting from this script and in the previous film. So what I loved about Rose's character in this movie was it was a, it was a very serious character. And um, uh, she was not stepping over boundaries as much as she was in the previous film, and... Um, you could see her respect of her place and her position with the resistance, and I don't know. You know, there was moments where she was they had, she had funny moments, but she wasn't overly trying to be funny, and uh, that's what I liked about it. And I, I took her seriously, and um, her costume was way much more improved, and her hair as well. And um, I don't know, she wasn't a frumpy, both. Uh, Physically and um, personality-wise. So, anyway, some more about this script. Uh, there's there's also Mustafar's involved, just like the Rise of Skywalker. Um, 
there is um, Luke Skywalker, who is haunting Kylo Ren, as well as talking to Rey, which is something that I think everyone kind of wanted in the last movie, was Luke haunting Kylo, trying to in the in the trying to bring him back to the light side kind of way, and um, I think that can make for a terrifying story, you know, um, <clears throat> if done the right way, and could really drive Kylo crazy. Something that happens at the end of this too was that <clears throat> Kylo becomes disfigured by a um, a holocron recording. I'm talking all over the place with this because I don't have. I haven't read the script, <laughs> and I don't have the the bullet points in front of me, and I'm just highlighting stuff I thought was cool. Um, so anyway, he finds a holocron uh, because he's trying to seek some kind of unlimited power, and it's really not explained in the bullet points what this power is, but he goes to Mortis. Um, but before he goes there, he's on Mustafar. He finds a holocron, a holocron... Not a Wayfinder, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> but he finds a holocron, and in it is a recording of Emperor Palpatine uh, with a late message to Darth Vader. And it <clears throat> once the holocron realizes that it's not Darth Vader that's seeing the message, it shocks him and uh, disfigures his face. And what I love about that is it respects the lore of... or complements the lore of holocrons, which is that they were used to communicate with Jedi and or Sith around the galaxy, and that if it wasn't a message for that particular person, <clears throat> it either wouldn't reveal itself, or in the Sith holocron case, it would shoot lightning at them. So what I'm getting at is that what I thought was really cool is that once the he's disfigured, he uh, goes back to a base and has Mandalorian <clears throat> Beskar armor melted onto his face to heal himself and he starts to become this new masked character and I think that kind of resembles his permanence uh, symbolic that he's his mask ideology has fully turned him to the dark side and there is no redemption and he's uh, fully gone and he's committed to being the full bad guy of the story now Kylo Ren is the main bad guy in this story, which is something I did not like. Um, because, like I said before, I don't see him as a threat. I don't see him as... Uh, well, at the time, I didn't see him as a very well-rounded character with a purpose. It kind of started that way in The Force Awakens, but we never really got that answer to when he was saying, I will finish what you started when talking to Vader's mask. <clears throat> And um, I guess you can kind of blame JJ and Ryan for that. Um, but we ne- I never found out what Kylo's goal was, necessarily. I guess it was just to have power. But power for what? You know, what did his parents do to really make him go over the edge, you know? But, um, so yeah, I thought that was a really cool concept. There's a lot of cool concepts in this, quote, script. Um... And, you know, a lot of people are talking about how if this was the movie that was made, it would have been so much better and everyone would have been happy. And, again, I think that's BS. I think that a lot of people who were disappointed with The Rise of Skywalker are just saying that because 
on paper, this sounds, this sounds good. But when you, when you look at like the details of it, it really, it really doesn't make that much sense in relation to this, to this sequel trilogy or the entire saga. I mean, why? Mortis is a really fun, really cool, uh, amazing story to tell, and they go to the planet in this story. For those of you that don't know, it was a, it was an, it was a story arc in the Clone Wars TV series. It was about a three episode arc, and it, they went to this planet called Mortis, and it was the center of. Uh, the force in the galaxy and it's where the force originated and it's um it is home to the father the son and the daughter the three um symbols of the force itself uh the son being the dark the daughter being the light and the father being the balance in the middle between them and the father the son and the daughter don't even appear in it so i mean just mention of the name in the movie if this would have come to fruition, would have made the hardcore fans probably really want to understand, well, why are they going to Mortis? I mean, first of all, you can't really get there. You have to be brought to Mortis. And <clears throat> it's almost like an invisible... Um, it, it almost exists on a spiritual plane. It doesn't really exist in the flat plane of space. It's... Like, in the Clone Wars, they had to be... It, they kind of went through this little ghostly wormhole, I guess you could say, and they just kind of appeared on this planet. But then they, when they, like, left the planet, it was revealed that they just kind of woke up from a nap. And it was like, well, did it really exist? Were they really there? And they couldn't even remember being on the planet. And there hasn't been any case where anyone who has gone to the planet has ever remembered being there. So... I don't know. It just kind of seems like uh, it wouldn't have been really necessary to have it in there. It just seems kind of fan service. That's the other thing, too. A lot of people are really like, well, this would have been better because there's not as much fan service as uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I actually think there's more fan service in this Duel of the Fates script than there was in The Rise of Skywalker. And, <laughs> I mean, there's... We have we have Mortis. We have the Quait or Coot uh, shipyards from one of the books. We have um, Bosk makes an appearance. Um, reference to the Knights of the Old. Po- just a bunch of I don't know, a bunch of stuff that kind of feels like it's thrown in there. So anyway, what I was saying, I think a lot of people are referring to this as kind of like a, a blissful what if, like this is knowing that this is in existence makes me feel better about the franchise. But honestly, when you look at something on paper, it's it's subject to your own imagination, so you can imagine it however you want to. And because we don't have all the details of the script, even those who say they've read it, um, we can't see every single plot point, every single every single piece of dialogue, and uh, the thing that makes everything, you know, sewn together. And so... It, we're, we just get these bullet points that lead us to our own imagination and we can see it how we want to and that makes it better than anything else we could ever see. Um, I don't. I honestly don't believe Colin Trevorrow would have made a good Star Wars movie. Um, Jurassic World was his first like big budget picture and while I did enjoy that movie, I think it's just because I love dinosaurs and not because I think it was well made. Um... Uh, honestly, any single Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie that comes out, I'm going to love because I am a 
dinosaur kid at heart. And uh, I just love T-Rexes, you know. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is um, I don't think he was fit for Star Wars. He clearly is a fan because he gets into all this, all this, you know, uh, history and references to other things Star Wars. Um, but I don't know. Hux becomes uh, Supreme Chancellor, which I think is very um, interesting. He also commits suicide with Kylo Ren's lightsaber. See, it's just kind of all over the place. There's no, like, we don't know why any of this happens. It's just kind of, hey, what if this happened? Hey, what if uh, First Order um, has a uh, Stormtrooper revolt? All this kind of stuff. You know, we, just, we just don't have enough information to fairly judge this, I think. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't know how this movie, this, this script ends. Like I said, I didn't finish Robert Meyer Burnett's reading of it exactly. I do know that it was heavily, uh, Carrie Fisher's film and she was featured very much in it and that this draft was submitted a week before Carrie Fisher's death. So one of the reasons that this may have not been the final product we got, or at least finished to the point where Colin would be making the movie, is because of Carrie's death. And he had fully written this entire movie, and with one of the main characters having died, it, he probably maybe didn't want to rewrite it or or not include her in any way, so he just wanted to leave. And... But again, we don't know. That's what's so weird about all of this stuff. Everything I've talked about today is just... We're given bits and pieces, and everyone is really craving to know more, and it's... We don't need to know more. We we got what we got, you know? Anyway, uh, the last thing I'll say about this... <laughs> I know I didn't talk too much about it. I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll get into it later. Um, the, the last thing I want to say, which I really respect, is... Colin Trevorrow, there there are elements of the story that are very similar to that of The Rise of Skywalker, and because of that, he was given a story by credit for The Rise of Skywalker because of the relations to his script, and he actually donated all of that money he got as a writing credit to uh, children's charity, which I thought was beautiful. And I think that's the best thing to have come out of any of this drama is that he he was paid for his work he put into it but residual wise and credit wise he had donated it um he says because you know he didn't feel like he deserved the credit for the movie um but i don't know i really respect the decision i think it was great he donated it no idea how much it was. <laughs> Could have been a thousand dollars. It's still something, you know. <clears throat> but um, yeah. So that was it. The Duel of the Fates script. It is a fantastic title, you know. Fantastic title. Um. But what is Duel of the Fates exactly? Like, how does that relate to Ray and Kylo? Again, we don't know. It's not in this. <laughs> it's not in these bullet points. Um. Duel of the Fates will always be, for me, Anakin versus Obi-Wan, and literally a duel of their fate. 
which was Obi-Wan to be exiled and Anakin to have turned to the dark side. <clears throat> Something really cool I just want to point out about Revenge of the Sith, because I <laughs> I was watching part... I had it on in the background the other day. And one thing I really, really loved and I wanted to point out about it, because I don't think I've talked about it, was that it was the first time we ever saw that a Jedi had a vision of the future. <clears throat> and Anakin's whole entire goal throughout the first three movies was to be able to change the future. He wanted to free his mom. He wanted to uh, save Padme from dying. He wanted to be a Jedi Master, all this stuff. And he saw his future of the demise of Padme and had visions of his fall to the dark side and the death of his mother and all this kind of stuff. So his goal was to change the future. And that ultimately led him to the dark side. One, because he... Uh, was given the opportunity to save the one he loved by Palpatine. And he was promised victory with the dark side to, one, be able to change his future and have the power to to do so. And what I think is very interesting about what I think is one of the main themes of the um, Star Wars prequels is that the only reason Anakin fell to the dark side and all of his fears became reality was because he tried to change them. He saw a glimpse of his future, and the future he saw was based on the decisions to do everything he can to not embrace it, and the only reason he went to the dark side is because he tried so hard to prevent everything from happening, and because of that, they all happened, and it's kind of, at that point, willing it into his existence, which I thought was interesting. It's just something to think about. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, every time I watch it, it really honestly does get better and better. And uh, I could make ten more episodes just talking about it. But that is it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you are all having a wonderful day. And we will be back next week to talk more about Star Wars. And hopefully we'll get some more Obi-Wan news because it can't be over, guys. It can't be over. You can't come out six months ago and say, hey, you're getting the series you all asked for, Obi-Wan and Ewan's back, and then later just say, hey, uh, it's off indefinitely. So we'll see. But thank you again so much for listening. I I graciously appreciate it. And um, please uh, leave me a comment or a like or a share. I don't know. Whatever the fuck you want to do. Or just go on with your day. (laughs) But now somehow, some way, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you.